You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. All right, if I call you back to your seats, we're going to get started this morning. We got the sun people and the shade people here. And then the heater people. There's three different types of people here this morning. And Joss is wearing a shirt and shorts today because he's a real man. Good work, man. Good work. To start today, I want to turn your attention to my beautiful Civic over here. There it is. It's got a lot of bird poop on it because I park it under a tree. So it's cleaner sometimes. It actually looks pretty good right now. But I actually want to turn your attention to right in front of the Civic. And I have a bunch of Tupperware and some clothes. If you recognize one of those items, I would encourage you to go pick it up before the end of today. That's part of this announcement or purpose. But that also represents for me and for Keaton a wealth of abundance and gratitude over the ways that we've been served by you as a church family over the last couple of months since we've had Henry. And so as hard as it is to have all that Tupperware sitting in my, my garage office at home, and I see it every time, and I say, i got to give that back to the Clopacks. Because their red bucket is still sitting in there. It's a, it's, a, it's a physical reminder of God's abundance and grace and kindness. Um, and this is a season to reflect back on this year and the ways that we have received abundance and grace and kindness from God. Every December, I think I do a lot of I do a lot of reflection, at least especially during that week between Christmas and, and New Year's, and reflect back on what has God been up to this year. What has He been doing? And I hope I encourage you to do the same. What What has God been doing in and through you this last year? And also, reflection gives us an opportunity, like to confess or to repent or to change in some way. Maybe to just develop new patterns. Uh, every year I look back and say, oh, there's different patterns I developed this year, some that I really enjoy and some that maybe aren't as good. Like I've noticed this year my phone, my screen time, you guys have that app on your phone, my screen time usage has gone way up this past year. Like why is that? Is that a pattern I want to keep? Is that something I want to reevaluate and change? It's something I want to change, be more present with people, with my kids, with, with others. And so it gives us a time to, re- to reflect and maybe to change a pattern we've seen in our lives. And the beauty of December every year as Christians is that we start the church calendar, Advent. Advent is this opportunity to restart. So our church calendar, the Christian calendar, this is like January 1st, Advent, November 28th, last Sunday. Like that's January 1st in our calendar of how we tell time as a church through the life of Jesus. And so it gives you and me an opportunity to, to restart to reflect and then change and think about maybe different patterns we want to develop for this year. It's an opportunity for us to be re-centered. Um, a couple of weekends ago on a Friday, uh, your elders uh, got together and we had like an all-day Missio retreat, elder Missio retreat, and uh, we uh, rented a room at this, this WeWork place over here off of uh, the 202 and uh, Scottsdale Road. It was really cool. And for the whole day, we just prayed, reflected on this past year, planned, had different conversations. And one of the challenges is like, what do you talk about? There's so many things you can talk about. 
and you only have a limited amount of time. And so I asked Nick Barker, who's one of our elders, like, hey, do you have any like coaching tools or tips that would maybe be helpful to, re to organize conversation? Because the only thing I know really is of SWAT. You guys ever use SWAT in, in maybe business terms, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats? There's something different. He's like, yeah, check out the Eisenhower Quadrant. Anybody heard of this? Eisenhower Quadrant. It's about Dwight from Dwight D. Eisenhower. He's a president. He was known to getting a lot of things done. He was like the guy that got things done. And the quadrant is real simple. At the top of it, it has important, not important. On the side, it has urgent, not urgent. And he has this quote. He says, uh, There's, I have two kinds of problems, the urgent and the important. The urgent are not important, and the important are never urgent. What he's trying to say is, is often we get stuck on what's the most urgent thing, and maybe it's not even the most important thing. It's not the thing we should be spending our time on. And so it's just a really helpful quadrant uh, to use to try to make decisions and decide what are the things we actually need to address now, and what are the things we need to address later, but what are actually important, urgent things to address. And as we have the second week of Advent, Today, Paul is going to address what I would say is the most urgent and most important thing for us as Christians, for us to be reminded of, to recenter, reorient this Advent season as we start the marking of our new church calendar. It's going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. 1 Corinthians 15. And let me give you some context of what's happened so far. If you read through 1 Corinthians, which we, if you've been following our Bible reading plan, we did that a couple weeks ago. In 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses a number of important things, issues the church had written to him about. They had a problem of like a celebrity pastor culture where some were saying, I was baptized by Apollos and you were baptized by somebody else. Like who's more important? They were trying to figure out how to deal with lawsuits that happened in the church. They were trying to figure out uh, a case of sexual morality that was ravaging the church and, and upsetting the community and how to, to call that person to repentance they were uh, dealing with how do you walk in marriages, singleness, and with caring for widows. They were thinking about circumcision and what does it mean now as Christians that now many of the uh, Jews that had found Jesus as the Messiah were trying to wrestle with what does it mean now for circumcision as this marker of the covenant? Do we need to continue to practice that? They were wrestling with food that was sacrificed to idols. That's feeling so foreign to us, but that was a common practice in the day that food would be sacrificed to different deities and gods. What are we supposed to do with that? Should we eat it? Should we not? They were trying to figure out worship services and there's crazy stuff happening in their worship services and how do they order them. Uh, they were trying to figure out communion. Like they were practicing communion in maybe some unhealthy ways. People were being taken advantage of. And they were trying to figure out spiritual gifts. And there's the last couple chapters before 15 is like, hey, what about, what about spiritual gifts? How do you use them? And is love the dominant theme of our gifts and why we have them as the church? All these things. But then here in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul drives home what is most important and most urgent. It's maybe a familiar passage to some of you. Maybe it's fresh for others. But I really want to dive in here and think about what is most important and most urgent, most central to what it means for us to be followers of Christ as we restart this church calendar and try to think of what is the most central thing we should focus on. So if you have a Bible on it, you should turn there maybe hopefully already. 1 Corinthians 15 we have a couple of real live, uh, fresh, hard copies of Bibles in the back there if you'd like to use one of those, those ancient relics of the past. Uh, but they are back there if you'd like to use it. But 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. Now, like, imagine the now here is as if he just read, he's written 14 chapters of a lot of issues. Like, hey, now, 
Let me recenter you on what's most important. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you've received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For I received, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, also as to one abnormally born. Let's pause here for a second. I just want to make one note because it's not going to come up later in the sermon. There's that little phrase in verse 3 and in verse 4 that says, according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. The question is like, what is Paul referring to there? Is he referring to a specific verse maybe, like oh, an Old Testament prophecy or something that was highlighted in the Messiah? Yeah, maybe, maybe he has some of those in mind. But just translate that as according to the story. According to the story, he, he's trying to say, hey, Jesus has come in accordance to the story that he's in. Leslie Newbegin, who's a missiologist we quote all the time, he says, you can't understand the story apart from Jesus, and you can't understand Jesus apart from the story. You need to hold it together. He's saying, hey, Christ has died, was buried, and was risen according to the story that he's in, the sweeping narrative of Scripture that we find ourselves as participants. Verse 9. It says this, For I am the least of all the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. This is really key, verse 12. This is kind of the crux of why he's even writing this chapter, this question that they're asking. But if it's priests that preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But if He did not raise Him, if in fact the dead are not raised... For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised, verse 20, from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. This is God's word. Let's pray so we might hear from God's word and hear from what the Apostle Paul might want to say to us through the scripture. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us this morning? There are many urgent things that come to our attention, things that we need to address, parts of our lives that remain undone. There's many things we have to plan looking forward into 2022, things we need to reflect on and repent of. But would you help us look to the thing that is most important and most urgent, most central here, which is the basic central events 
of history that have changed everything, that Christ, you have died, you were buried, and you rose from the grave. And now we get to taste new creation here and now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to some people around you, and I want you to uh, have a conversation around what do you do the first hour you are awake and the last hour before you go to sleep? What do you do? Like, what's your habits? What's your practices? Like, what do you do when you wake up? Like, I check my phone. I brush my teeth. Hopefully you do that. Uh, what do you do the last hour you're awake? I check my email. Whatever it is, just what, what are your patterns your practices, those first waking hour and that last waking hour. Ready, set, go. It's, it's nice to hear over here and not feel alone with some of your morning routines, what you do each morning. Even the simple thing of like, hey, I get up and I start the coffee pot or hopefully the coffee pot, some of you have an automatic, it's already made so you can just grab it while you're half asleep and pour yourself a cup. Maybe you check your phone, check to make sure you don't have any missed messages. Maybe you take a shower, brush your teeth, basic things. But these are these things you do right when you wake up and right before you go to bed. I think they reveal something to us. They reveal, in a sense, what is of primary importance to us. Like coffee, for example. Coffee in many of our houses is like the thing that is central to starting the morning. Like it's, it's, it's of utmost importance. It's primary. And nothing else can take place until you get that first cup of coffee going. And I'm talking to myself right now. I'm not, I'm not judging you. Like, I got to wake up, I get that cup of coffee, and it's like, okay, now I can start my day. It's of first importance. As we look at this passage, Paul's making just a simple claim. The gospel, the, these events that have happened in history of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection are to be of first importance. Everything else in your life should come as second to these liberating events. But as I was thinking this week about us as a church and about where we're at, there were five things I thought that maybe we as a, as a, as a church could have a temptation to put as first importance. Things that we maybe run to first to solve our problems and our challenges. Things that we run to to find meaning and purpose. Things that we run to to, to make sense of the world instead of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection being the central orienting core. So here are the five things. Maybe you'll resonate with one of them. Maybe you'll resonate with all of them. Maybe you'll resonate with none of them. And there's a sixth thing that I haven't mentioned. The first thing is this. One thing that I think is a temptation for us is, I was trying to think of a better way to say this, but I'm just going to say it how, how I have it, is information overload. Like we just look to gather more and more information when we have a problem or a challenge or we're trying to make sense of things. We just, I got to get more information. I got to do a couple more Google searches. I got to read the next book. I got to find a podcast that talks about that. I got to have the right information. If I have the right information, everything else will kind of, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go. It's of first importance. I just got to have all of the information. If I have the information, then I can move forward with my day, with my life. Maybe that's you. And that's information from politics to parenting and everything in between. The second thing is this, dieting and exercise. Dieting and exercise, we have this temptation, I think, as a culture and maybe even as a church to, hey, the orienting thing of our lives is around our diet, our preference, or our pattern of exercise. 
again, I'm, I'm speaking to myself. One of the first things I like to do when I wake up is go for like a two to three mile run, old man jog around my neighborhood. Like I got it, it's like with the coffee and that, it's like if I get those two things done, then everything else can kind of, will fall into place. It's of first importance. And, and I think a temptation for us is to say, hey, we are so oriented around our diets, our patterns of exercise, that those are the things that then uh, that, that shape everything else. Those are the things that we filter all of our decisions through. The third thing is this. We have a temptation to see therapy and counseling as the, of primary importance. Primary importance. Now, let me finish all the way through here before you like freak out and say, what are you trying to say about this? Therapy and counseling become in our culture like, hey, I, if I can just get to the deepest part of my soul, if I can just dig deeper and find the hurt child within, then I will find freedom. Then I'll be liberated. Then I will find my true self and I'll have meaning and purpose and then everything else in my life will fall into place. It's of first importance. The next thing is some kind of life hack or like next best technique. Like, hey, I'm looking for this next technique. Like I have this problem and if I can just find a quick solution, a technique to, to solve it, I can find something that will create more efficiency in my life. Then everything else will fall into place. It'll be of first importance. If I just had the right techniques or the, the right life hack or the right podcast that gave me this insight or what to do in this situation, then everything else will kind of be figured out. We run to those things really easily. And then lastly, uh, broadly, just social media, whether it's following a particular influencer or a person that we maybe uh, want to model our lives after, we look towards of, as, as a first importance to figure out what they would do so therefore we could do the same thing. Or we filter all of our experiences of life through needing to record and to post and to document before the world as of first importance. We're not ever able to just enter into a moment of relationship or a part of God's creation because the first importance is that we gotta make sure we document it because if we don't, it didn't actually happen. Those five things, information overload, dieting and exercise, therapy or counseling, a life hack or the next best technique or social media. When you think about your own life, which of those five maybe resonates most with you that you run towards first when you look for meaning and purpose or to solve a problem instead of maybe of first importance what Paul's talking about here and then unpack maybe what we do with that. And if there's a sixth thing, you can, you can name that to your neighbor as well as an act of confession. Ready, set, go. You've been confessing your sins to your neighbor, the things that you run to first. There is a sixth temptation and the temptation is to say that all of these things are bad things that you should never run to because all you need is Jesus. You're like, oh. Some of you are like, oh man, I, I thought I was getting out of a culture like that. But the vision what we have here is not an either or vision. It's not the gospel or something else. But rather the gospel as the center, the, the Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as the center the orienting core in which all other things flow. So this isn't a knock on therapy or counseling. We are proponents of that in our church. I've been through some of my own therapy and counseling. We're not a knock on life hacks. I love those things. Like if I find a new technique, I'm like, this is great. I just got so much better at this thing. We're not against information. 
I like to read a lot of books. That's a hobby of mine. We're not against dieting and exercise. I could really work on my diet, to be honest. You can talk to my wife about that. But at least the exercise part, I love running. If you were telling me I can't run anymore, I'd be really upset about that. Uh, and I'm not knocking social media. It's not bad to have an Instagram account or to post things about your kids or about what you went on this adventure with your friend or what you ate for dinner or whatever it is. That's, those aren't bad things. But they become, when it's a first importance, a thing we run to first, and then everything else flows from. That's when things get sideways in our own hearts. Paul's just making a simple claim. Hey, the gospel, all those questions you had in previous in Corinthians, all the things you're wrestling through, yeah, those are all important. But the gospel, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the central event of your life. It gives you meaning and purpose. It makes sense of suffering. It gives you hope of what is to come and what God's doing right now in your midst. And for some of you, you're like, yeah, 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 I get that. I get that the gospel's central. But like, do we really actually run to that first? Like, hey, no, Jesus is really central. And what he's done is really central to my life. And everything else flows from it. It's like when you go to make uh, a loaf of bread and you have all the ingredients. You have water, salt, and flour. Maybe you add another special ingredient, like a special, making some kind of special bread. But without the yeast, thanks, thanks, Roth, setting me up here. Without the yeast, you're not actually going to get a loaf of bread. You're just going to get one of the, like, let's look like maybe like a pita, pita bread or something like that. It's not going to rise. It's not going to work its way through the dough to make something beautiful that we get to enjoy even each week on Sunday. Like you need the yeast. The gospel is the yeast of your life that makes every other part fit and work together. The gospel is like oil to an engine. You need the oil for the engine to run, and if you don't have it, it will be destroyed and broken down. The gospel is like a foundation to a house. Everything else is built on it, but if the foundation is cracked or twisted or broken in some way, the house will come down. The gospel is like a heart, a human heart to a body that pumps oxygen through your veins so that you might live and breathe and have your being. This is the gospel. It's central like that. But the question that Corinthians are wrestling with here is, did it really happen? Like, did Jesus actually resurrect from the dead? That's in verse 12. Did it really happen? One of the things that's been most frustrating or discouraging to me in our current uh, political climate and culture is that you can have the same story be told from about 100 different perspectives. And it's like, how do you make sense? Like, we've had some high-profile cases, court cases lately, We've had some different things happen in our culture. And depending on what news agency you go to, you're going to get an entirely different telling of the story. Do you ever feel that way? Like if you were just to type in a story and then look at like five different news agencies, you might get five entirely different stories. And how do you make sense of all that? How are you supposed to navigate all of those different things? And everyone's looking at the story from a different perspective. They're even bringing maybe different details into the story. They're like, what? Why is that? Why, is, why, why does that happen? It's because there's these ideologies at play in our culture, ideologies that shape how we see events and things that happen so that two people or two news agencies can look at the same thing but come to very different conclusions because there's stories behind it. There's ideologies at play to make sense of what they saw or what they're experiencing. We have ideologies in our culture uh, all over the place, but Paul did as well in his culture. And two of, or one of the big ideologies in Paul's culture during this time was this ideology of Gnosticism. 
Gnosticism was this idea that this, the material world was inherently evil or bad, but the spiritual world was good. And so even the idea of Jesus and Gnosticism was he wasn't actually really human. He wasn't actually really a person. He was kind of just a, a being that took residence among us but didn't really have a physical body. And really the goal is to escape the material world anyways to get to this other world. It was a dualistic world that Paul was in. It was an upstairs and downstairs world. It was a heaven and earth world. It was the spiritual and the material world. And the crazy truth of Advent and the unique thing about Christianity and the claim of Jesus' life being born at Advent, his death, his burial and resurrection is that those two worlds came together. They collided. The spiritual and the material, heaven and earth, came together in the birth of Jesus that we celebrate every Advent season. It's entirely unique to many of the world religions of Paul's day, and that's the claim he's making that Jesus really did live, he really did die, he really did, was really buried, and he really rose from the grave. N.T. Wright says this about Jesus' resurrection that it really did happen, that he physically rose from the dead. It says, Jesus of Nazareth ushers in not simply a new religious possibility, not simply a new ethic or a new way of salvation, but a new creation. A new creation, creation, a physical thing. Jesus' resurrected body was the first fruits of new creation. That what happened with Jesus and his body and his resurrection is gonna happen to all of creation, including you and me. Do we really believe that? Like, do we really believe Jesus is alive? He really was born 2,000 years ago in that manger with the animals outside because there was no room in the inn. Do we really believe he lived this perfect life? Do we really believe he was crucified and was killed? He was dead. Heart stopped beating dead. Do we really believe he was buried in that tomb? And then three days later, he rose from the grave. And one day you will see Jesus face to face, just like you see the person next to you. Do we really believe that? Is, that? is that true of us as Christians? Not just that it's a good idea or that there's a spiritual significance around it, but that Jesus physically rose from the dead, that he's a real person that you and I will have relationship with for all of eternity if we trust in him. If it is true, and if that is of primary importance, these events, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, how could you make this next year, 2022, a year where you really center yourself on those events? That Jesus died, according to the scriptures, for your sins. He was buried, and he rose from the grave. And then everything else, whether it's dieting or exercise, information, social media, the latest, greatest technique, all flows from that central reality. Let me just give you three simple ways that maybe you could start 2022 with having those events central to your life as a follower of Christ. This is real simple, and you don't have to do this. This is just an, an invitation to you. First thing is this. When you're getting out of bed in the morning, like you wake up, Sometimes you get woken up by someone screaming at you. That happens sometimes in my house. But you get woken up. When you get out of bed, could you recite what we do every week, the mystery of our faith? In a sense, like you have this resurrection moment every morning. You were asleep and now you're awake. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. I can get out of bed. 
Then when you get out of bed, like you were talking about your morning routine earlier, you walk to maybe brush your teeth. Hopefully you do that every morning. Some of you guys got some bad morning breath. I'm, I'm one of those people. Uh, when you're brushing your teeth, could that moment of where you're trying to get the plaque off of your teeth and keep them nice and clean, could it be a physical reminder to you that God is redeeming and restoring his creation right now in your midst? That as you brush your teeth, it's this marker, this symbol of what God's doing in all of his creation. He's not getting rid of, he's not getting rid of creation. He's not, the goal isn't to get rid of your teeth. It's to refresh and restore them over and over and over again. And then when you put on your shoes every morning to get out of the house, could it be a marker that you've been sent as a herald of this good news wherever you go today, wherever your feet take you that day, that this is a moment where you're a herald of that Christ has died, he's risen, and he will come again. And these simple little markers that you do every morning, that you, you, you'll do every day that you wake up, can be markers to orient you into this of first importance of Christ's death and resurrection. Let me have you turn to somebody around you. Uh, you don't need to do those things, but I want you just to brainstorm for a minute with one of your neighbors. Hey, how can you make 2022 a year where really the death and resurrection is central to your life? Like what's a physical symbol, a reminder that you can have, that you can practice to make these events at the forefront of your mind through what you do with your body each day? Ready, set, go. We're in some really good uh, tangible ways that you can remember the death, burial, and resurrection. We need tangible ways to remind ourselves of things that are true. Practices that we do each week. And we do this practice each week of communion, which is this tangible reminder of Jesus' death and resurrection. This week I was thinking about the reality of the story begins in Genesis 1 and 2 of God making this good, true, and beautiful world. And then Genesis 3 happens and Adam and Eve are in the garden and they're near the tree of knowledge of good and evil and they're tempted by Satan to take and eat from the tree. Take and eat, Satan is is calling to them. God's holding out on you. And as Adam and Eve take and eat, they experience the curse of their sin and brokenness and all of creation is marred and disfigured because of their choice. But if you fast forward in our story, every Sunday, Christ offers to us the same thing. He says to us, take and eat. Take and eat. Here at this table is where you find life. Here at this table is of first importance that I have died for your sins according to the scriptures. I was buried and I rose from the grave and one day you will see me face to face and we will feast forever in my kingdom. And so every week we have this small, tangible reminder that Jesus offers to us of his body, which is the bread, and his blood, which is the juice, to take and eat, come and experience life from me. So let's read together. Uh, I'm going to read from, from 1 Corinthians, our, our passage we read each week to frame communion, which Paul has given to us. And then we're going to recite the mystery of our faith says this on the night he was betrayed our lord jesus christ took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it 
and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink this all of you for this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Would you stand with me now? The kids are walking back here. You can take them with you to the communion table. But let's recite together like we really believe this. Like this is the core of what it means to be a Christian. And if we don't believe this, Paul says we're to be pitied. We're foolish to the world because we believe in a dead Savior. But no, we believe in the resurrected King, Jesus. And so every week we recite this mystery that Christ has died, he has risen, he will come again. So would you recite that with me? Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Please come and get from the table. Receive from the king.